on the show today. Rich and I are joined by entrepreneur Joe Wilson to discuss Benton County Squirrel Festival. Yes, I said squirrels, steaks and sheepdogs, and his version of Worcestershire sauce. I'm your host, Brad Jackson, and you're listening to the February 28th, 2022 edition of Coffee and Cochon. So, Rich, today we are hosting a friend of yours um, from Arkansas. I am really excited about this show because this is not your typical subject matter, and I absolutely love that. Uh, We are joined by entrepreneur Joe Wilson. Joe, thanks for being here. We appreciate it. Hey, thank you, fellas. So, Joe, let's talk. uh, First, before we get into all the events you do and everything, I want to talk about uh, sauce and seasonings. You are a man who has his own version of Worcestershire sauce which I'm sure I'm pronouncing poorly because I'm from Texas and I can't say that word. Um, And uh, that's one of my favorite things to keep in my fridge. I keep that around all the time. Um, It's one of those things that's great to add to steaks, uh, marinades, um, barbecue stuff you're doing, just just anything. Tell me, uh, what got you into making your own sauces and um, your own uh, seasoning blends, and what is it exactly that you offer? Well... I tell you what, the first reason for making my own sauce was I Googled one day the hardest words in America to say, and Worcestershire <laughs> was one of them. <laughs> so I felt like I could uh, go ahead and change that by renaming the sauce Wilsonshire sauce, which kind of rolls off the tongue a lot easier. <laughs> and, uh, give the sauce just a little more umami, a little more zing. And so I read the the ingredients on a bottle of Lynn Perrins and went to the Asian grocery, bought a bunch of stuff, went to the Mexican grocery, bought some stuff, and then went to the world's largest retailer and bought some stuff. I come home, and my kitchen's kind of like a... Uh, a makeshift meth lab of sorts in there. I, I, <laughs> I grind a bunch of stuff up. There's a lot of coughing, sneezing, um, deep breaths. And so I went in the kitchen and I started this concoction and uh, put it inside the fridge. I have a fermentation refrigerator. And after about a month, I went out and checked on it. And boy, it was ugly. So I left it in there. And two months, I went out and looked at it. And it was even uglier. The third month, I went out and it had grown this film on the top, and I emulsified it. I took a spoonful of it, tasted it, sat in my chair in the man cave, went to sleep, and I didn't die. And so, (laughs) therefore, I knew it was safe for the public. So I bottled up about 20 bottles of it. I shipped it across the country to people that I thought would appreciate it. And one of the people that I sent it to was a six-time world champion of barbecue, Mark Lambert. And Mark used it in a competition that weekend and, and won the competition. And he called the next day and he said, I need more of that sauce. And I told him that was a huge problem because it took three months to make and about $90 for a gallon of it. And uh, he said, I'll pay you. And I said, well, I ain't going to charge a buddy. And... About a year later, I made some more. Sent it to him, and he said, we need to go commercial with it. So we have a 
an outfit up in Kansas City that actually goes through the exact same process that I did here at my house. It takes 90 days to make it. And uh, we've sold thousands and thousands of bottles of this sauce. So it's kind of it's kind of like me getting a Grammy or an Oscar, having the six-time world champion teaming up with me on this deal and, and people across the country enjoying the sauce. Um, it's a little sweeter than your Lee and Perrins. It's got a little more bite to it. And like I say, it's got a strong umami that really, really works well with beef, but it goes good in soups. Man, it makes a mean Bloody Mary. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So this is a, it's one of them. The other things I do, I like tinkering around with flavors. And, you know, whenever you get into the seasoning business, most people, they take salt and sugar and paprika and mix it up and put their name on it and sell it. Well, that's too easy. So I go ahead and I try to push the envelope a little bit, and I use ingredients that aren't real common. So I've got a couple products out that, that have a, uh, a horseradish base to them, and they go great with a prime rib. They go great with chicken. They're amazing with seafood. And if you take one of my horseradish seasonings and mix that with some tomato juice, put a little bit of hot sauce in there and put that Wilsonshire sauce, some vodka, you've got the breakfast of champions. Just not any Russian vodka at this point. We'd probably go with some Tito's on that one. (laughs) Do they make it in Ukraine? Because if they do, I'd support it. And I will say that the Wilsonshire has replaced Worcestershire in our household. I bought a bottle when I first saw it, and then it it ran out. And then the next time it became available, I went ahead and ordered either four or six bottles just in a batch. And so when the kids are like, hey, we need Worcestershire, no, 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 we've got Wilsonshires right here. It's got Joe's picture on the bottle. So it's a solid (laughs) product. I, I would recommend everyone to go out and check it out. Well, I tell you what, it was, you know, last year was a really hard time to bring anything to market unless it had uh, straps and covered your face. Um, Just because the supply chain was so messed up. And so the reason why we ran out the first time is there was no bottles. And, you know, we could have went to a plastic bottle, but we had never we had never put it in a plastic bottle before. So we didn't know how it would change the taste. We, you know, there's, it was a, it was a huge issue last year was getting bottles. And then after we got the bottles, then it become the lids. We couldn't get the lids anymore. And the same thing goes for our seasoning. You know, right now we can't get a red shaker lid. Um, they're just non-existent. So until things catch up, which I assume they will, um, small businesses really suffer on this deal. That's a point that uh, we had Chef Andrew Gruel on the show a couple of weeks ago, and, and he talked a lot about uh, the supply chain issues uh, in the restaurant industry in his case. But he mentioned a lot of the same things that you wouldn't necessarily think about. But just, you know, whether it's plastic silverware for to go or whatever, the, the supply chain is really, as you mentioned, been a huge issue for small businesses throughout all this. It has. You know, when it comes to ingredients, like right now, my horse and around seasoning, it's it's kind of on hold because we can't get the horseradish. Um, you know, there you could substitute, but I'll just sit and wait. Sooner or later, the horseradish will come back around and we'll repackage that product. So 
yeah, supply chain's been a been a massive hurdle. Um, by no means am I a big business. Definitely a small business. I go out and I pitch my product to meat shops and to barbecue uh, specialty shops around the country, and and uh, kind of like it that way. Well, Joe, I've got to get you down here to Austin because there are plenty of those places we could get some Wilson Wilsonshire <laughs> in in Austin. Yeah, and I think even Austin hippies would like the stuff. I think so. So one area where there has not been a supply chain shortage is in the realm of tree bacon, as you like to call it. Or for those of you uh, who haven't heard that, that terminology, squirrels. So a couple of years ago, you started uh, – well, a number of years ago, you started the Benton County Squirrel Festival, which is – what it sounds like. So why don't you take us through what it was like to start that, why you started it, and why you love tree bacon. So, you guys, I'll tell you what. The world, it's actually the world championship, and uh, we started it 10 years ago, going on 11, and it was all started because I told a big lie. Um, a mutual <laughs> friend of me and Rich's, had got me in connection with Andrew Zimmern and the Bizarre Foods uh, television program. And they wanted to film the Ozark edition of, of that television program. And they were using me as kind of like a fixer at first, trying to gather up people to do all of the randomness that was involved with that show. And so the list of, of items they wanted first they wanted to go rabbit hunting and i told them we could do that and then they wanted to go bear hunting and i said we could do that and then they asked for crow um, they wanted us to hunt crow and then cook crow and i said well you know that's really not an ozark deal and they said no we've done our research and people in arkansas eat crow and what they had done was, this was the week after our football coach, Bobby Petrino, had gotten a bad wreck. And uh, <laughs> we lost our coach through this deal. So, therefore, we ate crow. And the people up in Minnesota, <laughs> the people up in Minnesota had did Google and it said Arkansas eats crow. So, they thought that we ate it. And I told them that poultry was like 40 cents a pound and we had no business eating them blackbirds. And uh, so the final thing they asked for, they said, what about squirrel? Do you all cook squirrel? And I said, yeah, we cook the world champion squirrel. And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, we throw the world champion squirrel cook off. They said, when is it? And I said, when are you coming? And they said, the first week of October. And I said, damn the luck. That's the same weekend we throw the event. And so I scrambled around. I got 24 teams from four states, and we threw the first annual world champion squirrel cook-off. And, and, uh, <laughs> so this is all because you were helping Andrew Zimmern find some squirrel and, and told the producer, hell yeah, I could get you some squirrel. We, we, we do the world championship of squirrel. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. And... Uh, <laughs> So that show aired in like 140 countries, and me being the brilliant uh, salesman that I am, I decided I'd sell T-shirts for 20 bucks a pop. Well, come to find out, you can't even send a T-shirt to Australia for 20 bucks. So I kind of lost my ass on those T-shirts, but it gave us the momentum to throw that event for 
10 years. And uh, since then, you know, I've had the privilege of being on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. I didn't have to file bankruptcy, kill anybody, invade a country, nothing. <laughs> All I had to do was uh, lead a bunch of people cooking squirrels. And they gave me the front page. And I'll tell you, I don't know if either of you have had the front page of the Wall Street Journal. But when you get there, about a week later, this nice company out of Florida will call you on the phone. They'll congratulate you and tell you that they'd like to do something for you. They'd like to make you a big old plaque with that front page on there. And they ask you if you want mahogany or oak or what kind of wood and trim. And they send it to you. And you show all your friends and family. And then about a month later, they send you a bill for 600 bucks. <laughs> and at that point, you're already committed to this thing. So you got to fork out $600 for a newspaper. Um, yeah, we've had a lot of fun with it. Uh, this year, we're actually, I'm, I've teamed up with a killer band. One of my favorite bands in the world is called The Clever Lease. And the Cleverleys play a bluegrass version of top 40 music. And we're going to throw the world champion squirrel cook-off in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. We're moving it out of Arkansas for the first time. And we're going to have it as part of a three-week festival that goes on in Murfreesboro. The last week of it's all going to be about squirrels. And um, so we'll be in Murfreesboro in October, October 15th this year. Okay, so for those of us who haven't had a lot of squirrel, um, what does squirrel taste like? Well, I'm sure the majority of the people who have had squirrel, if they go and describe it, they'll tend to describe it a lot like chicken, and I'll tell you that's wrong. Um, squirrel, to me, has its own unique flavor, but you know, I call it limb chicken, tree bacon, all that, but I also call it the tofu of the woods because squirrel will accept any flavors that you put on there. So if you want to have uh, an Asian dish, hey, squirrel will absorb anything that you throw on it that's made out of soy, I guess. Um, if you want to do something Italian, it, it'll it absorb the, the herbs, the basils, all of that, the citrus. So it's just a really... Uh, non-flavorful meat it's a if you were going to compare it to any other version of protein that people would recognize i'd say it's closest to dark meat turkey okay i could do that i could do that dark meat turkey now do you do you get a lot of meat off of a squirrel it matters how you cook it um one of the ways to get the majority of the meat off you'd be surprised um if you go and you can't feed the squirrel you'll pull every nook and cranny of flesh off of the bone. And at that point, you know, I, what I like to do is I like to confit in a carnitas fat. Oh. And so you could go to the Mexican grocery store and you could buy the byproduct of making carnitas is all the oil and grease, you know, and so they sell it in a bucket. You could take that and get it down there about 185 degrees and slowly cook that squirrel. Every bit of the meat will come off. Um, at that point, it does not look like something you see while you're jogging or driving down the road. It just looks like shredded meat. Um, you could take that meat and you could put it in an egg roll. You could 
use it in a salad. You could do anything you want with it at that point. But confit squirrel is is definitely the most gourmet version of squirrel. But over the years, you know, we've had about 150 different recipes in the squirrel cook-off. And we've had James Beard chefs, and we've had people from the Netherlands come and cook in it. We've had people from Australia come and cook in the squirrel cook-off, um, Canada, all over the place. And these people have done everything from squirrel entrees to squirrel side dishes, desserts, and even a few drinks made out of squirrel. Okay, so before we move on to steaks for sheepdogs, which I want to make sure we get to, you got to tell me what what is your if you've had all these different ways for a squirrel, you've had confit squirrel, you've had Italian squirrel, you've had a squirrel drink. Um, that that really tickles my fancy. That that sounds just amazing. Um, what a what an interesting thing to concoct here. Uh, what is your favorite way to eat squirrel? You know, out of all of them amazing chef prepared dishes and competition cooked dishes that I've had still the traditional squirrel and dumplings would be my favorite. I just think it has a, a good homey feel to it. It, it it's very traditional. It's, squirrel's a great substitute for for the chicken that you would have typically in dumplings. And um I'd, so I'd go with squirrel and dumplings and and you know the highest they've ever come in the cook-off is second place. We had a second place squirrel and dumplings. But, you know, we had a squirrel ice cream. Uh, we've, had, we've, we, we've had it all. The squirrel ice cream, I'll describe it to you real quick. So uh, when bacon ice cream was a huge fad, whenever Jack in the Box and everybody was selling bacon ice cream, we had a team come, and, and they used little chunks of squirrel, they fried it in bacon grease with some brown sugar and basically pralined the little morsels of squirrel. And then they made a vanilla ice cream, mixed that inside of it. So the squirrel was actually like little bites of, of sweet candy meat. And, uh, yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> I got to tell you, that just sounds, that just sounds so amazing. Like, I, I feel like I'm missing out. I honestly feel like you I'm are. missing out by not being at the squirrel cook-off. You definitely are. You know, it, it has a lot of sideshows. We do the world champion squirrel cleaning competition. Uh, we do the hottest squirrel wing eating competition. Uh, it, it's it's kind of like a three-ring circus because I'm leading it, and anything I get involved with is going to be a three-ring circus, I can promise you. You know, I, I enjoyed. I, I've never been a judge or anything, but I got to eat a number of dishes. Uh, uh, I can't remember, probably about eight years ago, seven years ago, and I was amazed at what people did with the squirrel. I didn't get to have the ice cream. I thought that an enchilada was my most memorable uh, offering, and it was delicious. But so you, you know. That's a three ring circus. That's a whole lot of fun that you do with the squirrel cook-off, world champion squirrel cook-off. But there's another venture you have that is a much more uh, serious one. I know you have fun with it, but it's about going out and helping communities and trying to unite people. And that's known as Steak for Sheepdogs. So give us the breakdown of Steak for Sheepdogs and, and tell us why you started it and what you do. Well, you know, about six years ago, in Dallas, Texas, there was a bad guy showed up in town and he wound up killing nine police officers that night. And it was on, 
it was on TV. You know, it was the first time I remember actually watching uh, murders live on TV. Um, it was every channel was broadcasting this deal, and as I was sitting watching it on TV, I was getting more and more pissed off. And my wife looked at me and she said, "I bet you're going to try to do something about this." And I said, "Yeah, I'm going to." So the day after that. That dreadful day, I went down to the Bentonville Police Department and I talked to the chief and I told him I was going to protest. And uh, he said, Wilson, I don't believe you're much of a protester. And I said, well, I'm not real good at holding up signs or laying in the road, but I can cook a mean steak. I said, I'd like to cook everybody that's employed by the police department a steak dinner to try to bring us all back together. And so I did that on Monday by Friday, I had gathered up the volunteers and everything needed, and we cooked uh, 150 steak dinners for Friday. Wow. Well, when the, the meal got done, I started getting phone calls from other communities. And so the next weekend, I went and I did 300 in another town. And it kept getting bigger and bigger. And since then, we've cooked well over 30,000 ribeye dinners across the country. Um when I say across the country, I, I think we've been active in about 11 states. Uh, I currently have chapters or, or regional directors in seven states, and our goal is the same. We cook the exact same meal every place we go. We use the same seasonings. Um, typically, I'll have one or multiple world champion um, state cooks. At the event, so when we say we provide a world champion steak dinner, it's it's just not words. I mean, these guys have have competed in the world championship and won it. Um, it's a hundred percent volunteer organization. We have zero paid people. Uh, everything we do is from our heart, and the idea is is you know I think we kind of need smaller fences in life and bigger tables. Um, I think we need to be together as people. That's who we are. That's who we've always been since the beginning. And I think anytime you take people who can disagree and you sit down and you break bread together, you get a little bit closer. Um, I'm not going to say if Putin, that comedian over there in Ukraine, sat down and shared some pickles that, <laughs> that they would become <laughs> best buddies. <laughs> but uh, I'll tell you this, it probably wouldn't hurt. And so, you know, I I carry a pretty strong redneck personality in life. Everybody knows me as being quite the redneck, but I have lots of liberal friends, lots of conservative friends. Um, I got people far left and far right, and I try to put everybody in the middle. And that's what Stakes for Sheepdogs all about. Uh, we don't just participate when a police officer or a firefighter gets killed. We also like to come in times of peace and just prove that, you know, we need each other. And we do that with a 12 to 14 ounce ribeye. So this is, I, I, I think you're absolutely right, by the way. I think if if you can sit down and break bread with people who you don't always agree with, you'll find things that you agree you agree with them on. Um, but I think this is such a great idea. Tell me, what when you go to these uh, police departments, you go to these fire departments, and you do this, um, what sort of emotion do you see from those people when you show up and, and do these steak dinners? Man, I, I, 
well, first of all, from the volunteers side and and the sheepdog side, that's what we call our first responders. Um, man, we see we see absolute heart and emotion. Um, there's a lot of communities that we've come into that we got to get vetted. They don't they don't trust us coming in there to feed people. They're afraid we're going to poison them, and and that's weird. You know, <laughs> that's just, I, but I, I'll put it to you this way. If I called you and I didn't know who you were and, and you didn't know who I was and I said, I'm going to come to your house and cook you a, a hundred dollar meal. I mean, that's an odd thing to say. And <laughs> so, <Fair point. laughs> so whenever I call and make contact with a, a police department that may be a couple states away and say, hey, I'd like to feed 500 steak dinners to people I've never met before in my life. Um, They're kind of thinking that I'm a telemarketer. And so luckily, we've built up a big enough resume that now we're trusted. And I get phone calls now from police departments when they've had an officer get killed. And they'll say, hey, we need you guys. And so we come in and we, we truthfully heal through doing something that I'd be doing anyways. You know, I mean, I would automatically on a weekend be cooking something. And so I just assume take my cooking skills and go off on the road and, and help others by doing it. So yeah, it's an awesome, an awesome event. And one you can help support. Uh, if you're interested, you can find uh, Steaks for Sheepdogs online. You can go make a donation and, you know, help fund this mission that they're doing. So. Yeah. And and on our website, it's actually got our seasonings on there, which, you know, we do. Our meal consists of a ribeye steak, uh, really fantastic mashed potato, and then we do green beans and I'll tell you, uh, Pine Bluff, Arkansas is one of the most violent cities in America. Um, That's where I'm from. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> Explains everything, Rich. <laughs> and, you know, last year they had an officer who was gunned down, killed. The, the, uh, the, the boy that shot him had five homicides on this, on the same weapon he used to kill this police officer. So we rolled into Pine Bluff and Pine Bluff is a predominantly black town. Um, their police department's made up of uh, mostly African Americans. And whenever we made these green beans and I had old black women asking me for the ingredients, I knew that I had mastered the green bean. <laughs> I mean, that told me that our green beans did not suck. And so, uh, man, I I tell you, Rich Pine Bluff, that particular day, we we usually set aside a a special area for the family of the fallen. We went in there, and and the mother and the father, brothers and sisters, they were all inside the room, and and we brought in a preacher to do the prayer before dinner, and and um, we prayed for the loss of, of their loved one. And and when we got done, that mother asked if we would pray for the boy that shot their son. And so we prayed for him. And we got done with that, and she asked if we could do one more prayer, and that was for the judge to give lenience 
to the boy that shot her her son, and I didn't know what that meant. Um, I, I guess the reason why I do this mission is to try to see how these people forgive, and because uh, I really, I still to this day I don't know I have that in me, but I've sat with the family of murdered police officers last year it was 12 different times and all of the families had forgiven the bad guy um and i like i say i'm just not that dude yeah that's uh that would be a a hard sell for me as well uh you know i'm glad that those people exist i'm just not sure that i'm one of them joe let me ask you this though this this i think really speaks to the healing power of food doesn't it Oh, it's I, to to me. I, I mean, you know, the the medicinal value of of food is obvious, but then the healing power of food is something that I don't think we recognize anymore. And and you know, in an odd way, I, I blame that on big business. I, I I blame that on the fact that everything's in a box and it's pre-prepared and, and there's really no love there. Right. Um, you don't know the people who put that in the box, but when you were a kid and you, you stood around and watched your mom or your grandma cook or your dad cook, you know, it was a learning experience. It brought us together. I, I mean, if you go back to the history of man cooking on fire, it was one of those things that was tribal and brought us together and our tribe is broken in this country. And so we need fires and we need community food. And I think with those two things, you could see a massive change. I think that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Um, Joe Wilson, you can find his stuff online. You can punch in the Google machine, the Benton County squirrel festival steaks for sheep dogs. Joe, thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure having you here. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks fellas. Appreciate y'all. Thank you.